The first Bible reading is from Daniel, Daniel 7, verse 26 to 28. And if you've got the Bible that I've picked up in the foyer, it's 882. That's the page number. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and complete, completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Second reading comes from Matthew 28, starting at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. After a two-year bruising election campaign, Donald J. Trump had been elected the 45th President of the United States of America. And so he was inaugurated as President and gave his inaugural address. It was just a shame that he'd lost his voice. As he gave his inaugural address for just 16 minutes, he proclaimed his new authority. He set out his program for America and he made an important promise. And we all wondered, what does this mean for America? What does this mean for the world? Even what does this mean for us? Well, I wonder what Jesus' inaugural address would be like. What authority would he proclaim? What program would he set forth? What promise would he give? And what would it mean for his disciples? What would it mean for the world? What would it mean for us? Well, we don't have to wonder about any of those questions, do we? For we have here before us tonight Jesus' inaugural address. He proclaims his authority, he sets forth his program, and he makes a wonderful promise. You see the authority he proclaims in verse 18? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Donald Trump has been a man of authority for many years. He was a billionaire, that gives you authority. And more than that, he was a reality TV celebrity. As he said himself, you can do whatever you want and they let you get away with it. But now the people had spoken. He had enough electoral votes. The Constitution said that he was now the president-elect. Authority had been given to him by the people. 
And so he was inaugurated as the president and now became the leader of the free world, the commander-in-chief, the president of the United States of America. Of course, he said this was merely transferring power back from Washington to you, the people. Jesus, he also was a man of authority. Authority over sickness and demons and authority in teaching. He wasn't so much authority so you can get what you want and get away with it, was he? He gave. He served. But he only had local authority, you'd have to say. There were other authorities around. Indeed, when he's brought before the authorities and they're about to execute him, he makes a ridiculous claim. You will see the Son of Man, the Son of Man of Daniel 7, with all authority in heaven and on earth, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. It did seem ridiculous. He was down in the polls at that point. No one expected him to win. He had powerful enemies. And he wasn't just facing defeat at the polls. He was about to be executed. But now, he's been raised. And he says now, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Who by? Not by the people. More important than that, by God. He has authority now, he says, on earth and in heaven. He has all authority. Authority over every president. Authority over every nation. Authority over every planet. Over every solar system. All authority. Do you believe that? And so he should be honoured by every president, by every nation, by every planet, by every solar system, by every person. Do you honour Jesus with this authority? His supporters worked hard, Trump's supporters, didn't they? For they longed for Trump to be given the honour they thought he deserved. Are you like that with Jesus? Are you so convinced about his authority that you long for him to be honoured in every community, in our community, in your life? And how do you feel when he's not honoured? Does it bother you? Are you distressed by it? Jesus proclaims his authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And as a result, he sets forth his program, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Everyone knew what Trump's program was before he became president. If you weren't if the rhetoric wasn't clear, if you weren't sure what his policies were, you just needed to read his baseball cap. Make America great again. And so in, in his inaugural address, he told us what he would do. For now on, we will hire American and buy American. In every decision, it will be America first. America first. But Jesus' announcement is much better, isn't it? 
and much bigger. His mission is far wider. Surely there were some Jews who wanted to make Israel great again. Back to the days of Solomon. Even Jesus in his ministry, the disciples in their ministry until now, was just to Israel, was to the lost sheep of Israel. But now... All authority has been given to me, says Jesus, so it's no longer for just one nation. It's not even just for Israel first and then the others. It's for all nations. So what is the program? What must they do? Not subdue the nations. Not make them pay. No, Jesus gives them one verb. One thing to do. Make disciples. Disciple all nations. Do what I've been doing, says Jesus, with you for the last three years, teaching you, training you, modelling to you that you might be followers of me. Do that for the nations. And he spells out how to do it, doesn't he? In three ing words, in three participles, three hows baptizing it's surprising i think that he says make disciples by baptizing and john the baptist was into baptizing that's how he got the name that's what he was famous for he baptized people did jesus baptize people no he didn't so why does he emphasize it when he tells his disciples to do what he's been doing And after all, it seems like the disciples didn't listen to this advice. If this is saying go and put some water on people or dunk people in some water, the disciples didn't seem to listen. They baptised people, yes, with water, but they never did it in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's no reference to that at all in the New Testament. And Paul, the apostle to the nations, the man you would most expect to do this, He said, I was not sent to baptize. When he's talking to the Corinthians, he says, I can't even remember who I baptized when I was with you. It was not important to him. He was not sent to do it. So what does Jesus mean when he says, make disciples by baptizing? Is he really saying, make sure you put water on people? No, I don't think so. Each time Jesus is recorded as talking about baptism, it's as a metaphor, as an image. He does not talk about water baptism. When he talks about his own coming death, he calls it his baptism, which he must go through. There's no water involved. When he says what he's coming to bring, the coming of the Holy Spirit, he calls it a baptism. How does the metaphor work? What's the image here? Baptism, when John the Baptist did it, was not a sprinkling. It was a going down in the water and coming up again. It was a dying and a rising again. It was an experience that totally changed your life. It was a dying to the old life and a beginning of a new life. It was a new allegiance that changed everything. And so Jesus sends his disciples to make disciples by baptising, by causing people to have a new allegiance that is like a dying to the old life and a new life that will be totally different. 
Donald Trump is proclaiming America. America will be great again. And he calls on people to total allegiance. Patriotism, he says, will unite us together. It's a baptism, if you like, into the name of the United States of America. Total allegiance that will leave the old life behind and the new life will begin. That's the sort of thing Jesus is talking about. Proclaim the Father, the Son and the Spirit. Call people to faith and repentance. And when they respond, it'll be like a dying and a rising again. They'll have a new allegiance to the Father, Son and Spirit. It'll be a new life. Baptize them, he says. And what will that look like in practice? By teaching them, verse 20, to obey everything I have commanded We saw last week that Jesus' command was to love one another. But he had a whole lot of other commands, didn't he? And importantly, he commanded that you believe in the one God had sent. They had to teach these things so that as people respond, it's a dying and a new life, it's a baptising. And of course, the third way there to make disciples is by going. It looks like the main thing here, isn't it? Because it's at the, the beginning of the sentence and they've dropped out the ing on it. But make disciples is the main verb. Baptizing and teaching is how you do it. And if you're going to baptize and teach the nations, you better not stay in Jerusalem when there's no social media around. You've got to go. It's as simple as that. Jesus proclaims his authority over all nations and his program is to make disciples of all nations. And he gives a wonderful promise, verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Trump has made a fair few promises, hasn't he? He promises to make America great again. He promised in his inaugural speech to eradicate radical Islamic terrorism from the face of the earth. Good luck. He promised, I will never, ever let you down. Jesus here makes a promise and it's much more certain. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's good to know, isn't it, that wherever you are and whatever is happening to you, however you are feeling, Jesus is with you in that. But Jesus is saying something more specific than that here. Can you see that? He's just said, make disciples of all nations. He says it's to the very end of the age. He's going to be with us after the end of the age, clearly. But to the end of the age, we're to make disciples. This promise here is that he'll be with us in the mission. He'll give us power. He'll equip us. He'll control history so that it really happens. It's a promise for the mission. Here is Jesus's inaugural address to his disciples. He proclaims his authority. He sets forth his program and he makes a promise. Who are we at this inaugural address? Where do you and I fit in 
on that day? Shall we identify with Jesus, the great leader, and see how to make a great speech, how to make big claims, how to inspire followers, and how to keep it extraordinarily short? No. We're not to identify with Jesus. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. There's a clue for you. That's not you. Are we to identify with the eleven? Those who followed Jesus for three years, those who are listening on that day, those who are commissioned to make disciples. No, we are not them. We were not there. This is a great speech in history. Now, I know most of you probably listen to this podcast, but for those who don't, there's a podcast called Great Speeches in History. And when there's no one else around, that's what I get to listen to. You can listen to Abraham Lincoln, at least someone reading his speech, George Washington, President Obama, and you can hear the words that they said and remember the moment in history that they were at and see what a significant thing that it was. That's what this is. It is a great speech in history, and you and I were not there. Jesus here gives the shortest inaugural address of all time, 61 words in the English, and it changed history forever. Here is this tiny sect, 11 men, and now billions of followers throughout history with extraordinary influence on civilization. Why has that happened? Because the nations have been discipled. Every nation. On January the 26th, 1788, Australia was started, the program of discipling the nations. This is a great moment in history, and we are not there. But who are we here in these verses? We are not Jesus. We are not the eleven. We are the nations. If you are not Jewish, then this is your moment. If you've been discipled by being baptised, your life has changed because of Jesus, you've been taught to obey what he said, then this is your moment. This is where you got to be included in God's people. Even you and I were invited in. And this moment ought to fill us with delight. On January the 1st, 1863, Abraham Lincoln, the President of the United States, declared that all slaves should henceforth be free. If you're a slave in the years to come, or a child of a slave, you would look back at that moment, read those words, and know that was your moment. Even you were being counted equal and invited in to be free. That's what this is. Do you see it? This is our moment. We're the nations. And we ought to rejoice, for we are the beneficiaries. See that first and foremost. But not only are we the beneficiaries, 
The inaugural address is spoken to the 11, isn't it? But it cannot just apply to the 11, can it? Think about it for a moment. He proclaims his authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Does that just apply to the 11? Of course not. Disciple then all nations. Is that just for the 11? They can't get to them all, let alone disciple them. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Not one of them lived that long. Here is a proclamation, a program and a promise that must apply to more than the 11. After all, he says, teach them to obey everything I am commanding you. Are they supposed to leave this bit out? Now, we have the privilege of looking back on this moment and knowing it is our moment. We are the nations. We rejoice in this moment, but we also rejoice that it applies to us, that we are disciples and disciple makers. And we've tried to crystallise that in our church by talking about making and growing disciples, by making disciples, by connecting and sharing Jesus by growing disciples, by maturing and serving. And so we want to be connecting with people. The disciples need to go to the nations. There was no other way to disciple the nations. We don't need to go any longer. We're here. But we're not at the centre of community life, are we? They're not going to listen to us just because we're here. We need to connect with people. And so we need to start relationships as individuals. We need to develop the relationships that we have. Our church has identified particular groups of people in our community that we need to connect with, with youth and young people. James has invited people over the last couple of weeks to get more involved in that. This year we'll be particularly launching our focus on baby boomers, reaching that part of our community. And as the new residents are going to be moving into North Richmond, this year we need to be gathering people together, planning and praying together. Do you want to be part of that? And who are you going to connect with this year? Are you praying for someone new in your life whom you hope to share Jesus with? For we connect in order to share, don't we? Do you want to be trained in that? this year? As the 500th anniversary of the Reformation comes around and we focus on that in fourth term. So I think that'll help us to know how to explain our faith to others. We need to get better at inviting people to church and welcoming people to church. For we want to make disciples. And of course you don't just make disciples to you, you've got to grow them. Jesus didn't speak 61 words to these 11 men one day out of the blue. He spent three years with them, living with them, teaching them because they needed to mature and learn to serve. I do hope you join a small group this year. Have you worked that out yet? That'll help you to mature and serve. Uh, Next term, we'll be looking at the book of Joshua as we learn to trust God's promises. In third term, we'll be in the book of James. That'll challenge us to serve. And we want to develop not just people on a roster, but teams of people working together more. Making disciples and growing disciples. Here is Jesus' inaugural address. He proclaims his authority. 
He sets forth his program and he makes a wonderful promise. We are the beneficiaries, rejoice, and we have the privilege of making disciples. How do you feel about that? Are you excited about that? Or are you fearful? Does the whole exercise, Jesus' program, feel like a waste of time, a lost cause, as if no one will ever respond? Look again at this inaugural address. Just 61 words spoken to the smallest crowd for an inaugural address in all history, I reckon. Eleven was the crowd count that day. How could they possibly disciple the nations? Well, perhaps the most significant, most striking thing at the end of here at Matthew's Gospel is not Jesus' words, actually. No, the most significant thing here is what Matthew tells us about what the disciples did as a result, about how they felt when Jesus spoke these words, what their plan was to implement his program, how they went and discipled the nations, what they did. Do you see here what he says they did after verse 20? Matthew says nothing. Have you ever noticed that? Nothing about what the disciples did. Because they did nothing? No, they must have. We're here. But that doesn't matter, Matthew is saying. Why does he finish with Jesus' words and not what they did? Jesus says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is all you need to know, isn't it? Is it going to happen? Yes. Why has it happened as we look back? Because Jesus is with it. It is his authority, his mission, and his promise. Should we be thinking it's a lost cause? That no one will respond? That no, we can't is our response? Well, that doesn't matter, does it? Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' mission. Yes, he can. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these wonderful words from Jesus. For the authority that you have given him over every power and nation and person. And Father, we do long and we ask you to make us long more for him to be honoured as a result. Father, we thank you here that he sent his disciples, that he sent them to disciple the nations, that they might be aligned, that they might die to self and live for the Father, Son and Spirit, that they might teach others to obey everything he had commanded them. Father, we thank you that this is our moment as we look back when we got to be invited in. And Father, we thank you for the privilege of being not only disciples but disciple makers. Father, you know our hearts, how fearful we are, how doubtful we are that anything will happen. So Father, help us to believe these words from Jesus. 
that in this mission that he gives, he is with us always to the very end of the age. Help us to believe, Father, that yes, he can. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.